0: Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, and this morning we're going to be finishing up Hebrews chapter 5, Lord willing, and looking at verses 11 through 14, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. The topic before us this morning is maturity. Maturity. How many people here this morning would consider themselves mature? Any mature people in? All right, Tom? A couple mature people in? Nobody else is mature. (laughs) We all know immature people. Maybe it's the person we see in the mirror, hard to say. What's interesting, though, is how we define maturity. We typically define maturity as synonymous with independence. So that if you see someone who has a sort of stunted adolescence, a continued, protracted adolescence, they're not on their own. They're not making it by themselves. They're not getting out of the house and getting a job and getting set up, and therefore they lack maturity. And yet, scripturally speaking, maturity is not synonymous with independence as if the more mature we are as Christians, the less we have need of God and each other, but it's in fact the opposite. To be mature in a spiritual sense is to be more and more dependent on God and on his word. And so we should not define maturity as being synonymous with independence, but perhaps we could better define spiritual maturity as being synonymous with service. An individual that has their security and their identity in Christ, so that as they depend on him, lean on him, listen to him, interact with him, are close to him, out of that position they can then serve him and others. There is a sense then of being grown up, but not a sense of being independent but in fact, being more dependent on God so that we can serve. It is that rare combination or rare uh, differentiation between having a childlike faith and a childish faith. We must be childlike in that we are dependent on and Completely uh, connected to our Heavenly Father as children are to their parents. And yet we are not childish in our faith, in our relationship with Him. And so let's read the passage before us with this in mind. We're talking about maturity then this morning, and maturity as it equals service, as it equals practically living out our relationship with God. As we saw last Sunday, our pastor who's writing this, our author, is leaning into the reality of Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, but he's not going to pick that up again until chapter 7. He needs these verses and all of chapter 6 to sort of take a pause and we'll see why in just a moment. But So before he continues in verse 11 then of Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews 5, 11. about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the Word of God. And so, in the first place, then this morning, we have this pastoral concern. The pastor wants to share with his listeners, his audience, the message that he began with in chapter one and will continue throughout the rest of the letter slash sermon that Jesus is superior. He is writing to predominantly Jewish Christians who are questioning whether or not Jesus is worth it. And they are considering leaving off belief in Jesus Christ and going back to Judaism. It's just a lot easier. There's a larger community of Jews. We can kind of band together and we won't have to be persecuted as Christians are. Christians are being persecuted by both Jews and Gentiles They seem to be a group without a home, and maybe it's just easier to just, we don't want to rock the boat, let's just go with the flow. And the writer of Hebrews, the pastor who is preaching Hebrews from these sermon notes, would say, no, do not leave off Jesus Christ and go back to that which is vastly inferior. Jesus is superior, superior to Moses, he's superior to angels, superior to Abraham, superior to Joshua, superior to the Old Testament law. Jesus is superior, and he's going to go deeper into that and even talk about Jesus' priesthood as being a superior priesthood to even the Aaronic priesthood, and then he stops, or I should say pauses. This is not an interruption. This is not something that is imported into the text. The preacher, as any good preacher knows, are my people that I'm preaching to able to hear this? Are they going to listen? Because it's not going to do me much good to present these truths if my audience is not listening, if they're not paying attention. And so before he gets into these other truths that he wants to share with them, he takes a break. And starting in 511, going through all the way through chapter 6, he's going to give them some warnings to say, Now listen, you need to listen to this. And this is not just, listen to this because I need an audience to preach to, listen to this because it's the only way that I can be validated as a preacher. No, he says, you need to listen to this because it's a matter of life and death. What's at stake here, if you do not listen, is apostasy. What's at stake here is actually leaving off truth and following after lies. What's at stake here is abandoning Jesus And going back to that which is inferior to him and which cannot save. It cannot give you salvation. It cannot give you support and purpose and meaning. It cannot save your eternal soul and give you a life abundant in this life and in the next. It's weighty stuff that we're talking about here. So you need to pay attention. You need to listen up. And so he says, about this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain, not because as a concept it's difficult to grasp, but because his listeners are not listening. (laughs) They're not ready to receive this. And if he explains this to them without cautioning them, without of care and concern for them, helping them understand the severity of this, the seriousness of this, they're going to miss it. And then it's going to be wasted words. And the pastor who's writing us Hebrews does not want to do that. And so we have all kinds of messaging that comes at us all day, every day. And because of that, on our own, we oftentimes are crowding out what is important. Because we have become crowded by the urgent, or I should say, the seemingly urgent. You must listen to this now. You must take advantage of this now. This is only going to happen now. And the author of Hebrews has said similar things where he says, today, listen today. Today do not harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness. As Paul will say to the church at Corinth, now is the day of salvation. You need to listen to this. And so the author of Hebrews is saying the same thing then to us this morning. We need to listen up. This is important. We need these truths. We need them every day. And we ignore them to our peril. And so what follows then in verses 11 through 14 are four marks of immaturity. Four marks of individuals who are not serving, but are consuming. Four marks of individuals who are not actually applying the word of God. They may be hearing it. They may be physically present. but They're not engaged. They're not invested. They're not applying the words of truth. So what are those four marks? Now, as I was mentioned to some of my fellow elders on Friday at our Sermon Preview, I don't frequently alliterate. I was taught to do that as a younger man, and I've kind of come away from that. But this morning, we're just going to alliterate, and we'll see how she goes. It just seemed to lend itself, and I just went for it, and here we are. So in verse 11, what we have are lazy listeners lazy listeners he says you have become dull of hearing now notice it's their fault this is on them you he says have become this is not a lack of information this is not a lack of opportunity they've heard the word of truth they have many opportunities to hear the word of truth but they have become dull of hearing. The word there, dull, could be translated sluggish. Some of you are feeling that this morning. Some of you, as we start with the video, as Pastor Luke said, are resonating with that. It can also mean lazy. It's this idea of not applying truth. We're hearing it. We have opportunities As one commentator said, we have more opportunities to have access to the Word of God than any previous generation. And yet, for whatever reason, his listeners, and perhaps us this morning, have become, over time, sluggish, lazy, dull of hearing. We're not actually applying the truths that we have received. It doesn't say in the text why that is the case but there are a number of options certainly in our context perhaps it's an overabundance of information we have lots of information coming at us from many different sources as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes he worked through that a number of years ago of the writing of books there is no end there's all kinds of books articles blogs podcasts resources Listen to this, digest this. This person has the corner on truth. Listen to this podcast or this blog or this article. And so we have this abundance of information. But we have confirmation bias such that we typically only digest or listen to information that we agree with, that proves us right and validates our opinions. We're not very keen oftentimes to listen to information that we do not agree with. And so we find ourselves in an echo chamber, as they say, only digesting the authors and the speakers and individuals that, as Paul says to Timothy, tickle our ears to tell us what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. Perhaps it is because of all the things that we digest, we're more inclined to just gather knowledge and less inclined to live that knowledge out, what scripture calls wisdom. I know a lot of Christians, especially in our modern era, who love digesting deep theology. They read, as Matt Chandler has said, old dead guys. They love going back to the Puritans and to all these different authors, and they read copious amounts of literature on all different sorts of topics. They seem to be knowledgeable and learned, and yet when you look at their life, they have left off things like mercy, and grace, and joy, and peace. This would be akin to the Pharisees of Jesus' day, who certainly knew the law, but did not actually know the author of the law. Their heads full of knowledge, but their hearts cold and distant from the source of that knowledge. Perhaps it is, as I experienced in Bible college, group spirituality. So I'm at Bible College, and if you can imagine all of the Keeners and all of the youth groups from different parts of the states and Canada all gathered together in one place. And so chapel every day, Bible classes all throughout the day, mission prayer groups and all kinds of opportunities to serve and to digest the Word of God. And if you're not careful in that environment... You can just kind of ride along on the coattails of other people's relationship with God. It's not yours. You're not putting in the work. You're not working on your relationship with God. You're not investing in his word and in prayer. You're not um, actively listening and actively seeking to apply his word. You're just sort of in a group environment that seems to be in love with Jesus. Now you could, if you want, you could go down to the gym, and you could be in the gym, and you could observe people lifting weights and doing cardio and all these kind of things. You could walk around to the different machines and engage in conversation. You could pay the membership. You could read the manual on all the machines. You could watch YouTube videos on how to use them. But at the end of the day, if you're just hanging out in the gym, but you're not actually doing any work, there's no such thing as group exercise. I mean, you can't exercise as a group. (laughs) But somebody else exercising does not drop any weight or tone any muscle on you. And sometimes that is what we fall into. We believe since we're here, and since others seem to be enthusiastic about this, that so are we. But the pastor says, no, you have become, this is a progressive state that you have not actively worked against, that now finds you sluggish, lazy, dull. You're hearing the word, but you're not listening to it. It's just not applied in your life. It, it, it doesn't resonate, it doesn't evidence itself in how you actually live. You say that you love Jesus and you say that you. Are submitting to him and to his words and yet in your life that is not the case it doesn't look like that on the ground you have become he says dull of hearing so they were lazy listeners in the second place they are forgetful frauds verse 12 for though by this time you ought to be teachers You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. They looked the part, they looked professorial. They looked like mature Christians. They had been part of the church for five, 10, 15 years. They looked like the part. Going over their home, they have a Bible on the coffee table. Their DVD collection, if they still have one of those, has been scrubbed for your visit. So all the DVD covers are all Christian movies. Anybody else done that? Pastor's coming. Let's hide those particular things. They looked like individuals that knew about the gospel. They looked like individuals that were in relationship with God. They had the appearance of people that were close to the Father. And yet, he says, they were not in practice. And in fact they have need of someone going back and teaching them the elementary principles. The word here has the idea of the ABCs. They look like somebody that had a PhD, they looked like somebody that should be up in front of the classroom teaching, but they had need to go back to kindergarten and learn again their ABCs. I remember in my English class in high school, We were writing essays, dissecting Shakespearean sonnets. And we came into class and our teacher slash professor said, guys, we need to relearn some basics of grammar. This is a noun, this is a verb. I've been reading your essays and you seem to have forgotten a basic understanding of English grammar. Here we are, you know, talking about You know, Shakespeare's thoughts on tragedy and comedy, all this kind of stuff, and and waxing eloquent in our high school way, and yet had lost the basics of the English language. The author of Hebrews then says, This is true of them. You have the appearance of someone who should be able to walk somebody through the gospel. This is what it means to admit that you're a sinner, to repent of your sin, and to trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And this is what it looks like when that is true in your life. This is what a relationship with God looks like through Jesus by the Spirit. That's what you should do, and that's what you look like. And yet he says, but you're not that. You're actually a fraud. And you're a fraud because you're forgetful. You should have remembered the elementary principles, but you've forgotten them. One thing certainly of the church at Ephesus, where Jesus Christ himself says in Revelation 2, that they had forgotten the love that they had at first. They knew their theology and they fought hard for it, but they'd abandoned the very basics of the faith. They'd abandoned the core foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Arrogance, rudeness, being harsh and critical and judgmental have no place in the life of someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ? To use the weapons of the world to wage the warfare of the soul is problematic at best. And so the author of Hebrews says, You are forgetful frauds. In the third place, they are clumsy consumers. How's the alliteration going so far? Clumsy consumers. He says, You need milk, not solid food. For if you live on milk, you are unskilled in the word of righteousness, just like we would not offer a two-year-old a circular saw. We would not offer someone who can't handle it something of importance. They're clumsy. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. They should know the gospel. They should understand that Jesus Christ is superior and why. They should not only know it for themselves, but to be able to articulate it to others, and yet they're clumsy. They're not saying things correctly. They're not believing correctly. They've forgotten the basics. They're unskilled, and it's because they're now consumers. Instead of being mature, which means serving, They are immature and asking to be served. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, although if anybody deserved to be served, it was the Son of God, the King of glory. But he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We've said this millions of times here at Grace Baptist Church. You come to church and are a part of church in one of two ways. You either wear a bib or you wear an apron. If you come wearing a bib, you're expecting to be served. I want this kind of music done this way. I want the lights this way. I want to sit on this chair. This is about me. Serve me, 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 me. Or you come with an apron that says, what do you need? How can I help? And that is the difference between immaturity and maturity. And these individuals should be able to handle solid food. And yet they need milk they're not childlike in their faith, they're childish in their faith. They're now consumers instead of servants. They are takers and not givers. And because of that, they are unskilled, they're clumsy in the word of righteousness. It's similar to Paul when he writes the letter to the first Corinthians, he writes an entire letter to the church to say, you guys have the appearance of doing this well, of living out the gospel, But because you lack love, the very basis of the gospel, what you're doing is actually power struggles and division. I want that gift. Why does that person have that gift? That should be mine. I want my name in the bulletin. I want to be recognized, me. And the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is that. And Paul says, if you do not have love, you have what? Nothing. He says, I could move mountains. I can do all these things in the name of Jesus, but if I don't do it for his glory and if I don't do it out of motivation of love, he said it is useless. And so they're clumsy consumers. And then lastly, they are simple sloths. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. They are slothful. It's akin to the word that he uses for dull. They have not constantly and consistently practiced. We need to practice. We need to live out our faith. We need to act in light of the truths that we know, that have been patiently and consistently preached to us, and spoken to us, and taught to us practice. It is kind of an athletic term, where athletes, we've just completed the Canada Games, athletes spend hours of time practicing, so that when they participate in their sport, it's just muscle memory. They're not actively thinking, okay, how do I take my hand and move it so that my racket strikes the squash ball." No, they've done it so often that they just do it. They've practiced. The best I can come up with, because I'm not an athlete, is when I was working at a car parts factory in Windsor when I was going through seminary. The car parts would come out, and the one press that I was on, it made the little coat hooks, the little coat hooks in your car that nobody ever uses. Uh, So there I was making things that nobody ever used. But the press would close, and plastic, hot plastic, plastic injection molding would go into the mold. It would make eight coat hooks, plus a little kind of tree branch to get the plastic where it needed to go. The mold would open, and then you'd pick that out. You'd crack off the eight coat hooks, trim them with an X-Acto knife if you needed to, and toss the plastic that wasn't a coat hook into your hopper so that you could grind it and then reuse it. Every 30 seconds, eight more coat hooks. That was an eight-hour shift. But you got to the point where you weren't actively thinking, okay, the press is going to open, then I got to grab the thing and then I got to take my knife. No, no, you're just doing it. So I could get it down in seven or eight seconds. I could have those eight coat hooks. And I was thinking, praying, doing all kinds of different things. My active mind was elsewhere. Anybody else relate? <laughs> Maybe it's that rate right now. Um, <laughs> my active mind was elsewhere. My hands were just doing the job. I, from constant practice, I had learned how to do this. And only in my middle of my shift, I kind of came to and was like, what am I doing? And then I started messing up and getting behind and I had to get back, back around. So you see golfers and basketball players, hockey players, pick your sport, MMA, whatever. It's constant practice, constant practice. You do this move over and over and over again. And then in real time, as you're participating in your match or your sport or whatever it is, it just comes. It's almost just like a machine, it's almost automatic. And so the author of Hebrews is saying when it comes to discernment, it should be in some senses automatic. You should just have your senses exercised. You know what God says, you know God's character. And so when you're faced with something new that you haven't faced before, or when you're faced with something that comes at you quickly, in that moment, you've had your senses exercised by constant practice to know what the right thing is to do. You know the difference between good and evil. You don't have to go away and analyze it and write a 25-page essay about it and talk with a bunch of different scholars online and sort of digest it. Sometimes you do those things, but in the moment, you know. And as you live your life, you know. You have discernment. But if you're slothful, if you're not putting into practice the truth of God's word, you don't have that reality. And so that makes you simple. You're not trained. And so you can fall for incorrect doctrine and practice. Paul says in Ephesians 4, what is the role of the pastor, teacher, apostle, evangelist? Why did God gift these individuals to the church? That you might have your senses exercised, that you might be trained. He says that all in the church might be trained, to, equipped to do the work of the ministry. That we all grow up together in Christ to full maturity, full manhood, knowing what the difference is between good and evil. Now, as we close then, there are four marks that of maturity. They're not in the text, but they are then the opposite of the four marks of immaturity, we could say. They are from the text, certainly implied in the text. But what are the four marks of maturity? First of all, a mature believer is an active applier. They have not become sluggish in their listening. They have not become dull of hearing. They have not become lazy in their listening. No, they are active in their application. What does God's word say? And then I need to apply that as I live my life. It impacts how I speak, how I think, how I behave. We are actively listening We try to let you know ahead of time what the passage is before you come here on a Sunday at Grace Baptist. We send out the preaching schedule three months in advance. Every quarter, you get the next quarter's preaching schedule. And our weekly newsletter that we've been sending out to your inbox, and if you don't get that, talk to Pastor Luke and one of the ladies in the office. We'd love to have you on that newsletter uh, uh, um, that gets sent out. We remind you, this is the the, the passage under consideration. We provide for you questions for the reflection that you can use on your own and also with a community group. We have a community group in your area, and if we don't, talk to us and we'll start one. We might get you to lead it. We give you multiple opportunities to to interact with the text of Scripture on the Sunday. But do you come ready to hear? And do you come with the attitude of submission to the Word of God, saying, God, teach me. God, what do you have for me this morning? that I need to then apply in my life moving forward. Active appliers, ready to hear the word of God. That you are not here as a critic or a judge to see if my grammar's correct and if Pastor Luke said the right thing in the right way. You are not a judge. You and I are to be submissive to the word of God. We place ourselves under it, not above so that we come to say, God, what do you have for me from your word so that I can live it out? Next, they are faithful followers. Instead of being forgetful frauds, they actually are teachers, not in a formal sense. Not everybody here is going to teach a classroom full of individuals or preach to an auditorium full of people, but you'll be able to teach your neighbors and anybody in your sphere of influence, fellow students, family members, friends, anyone that you have in your sphere of influence, you can let them know this is the good news about Jesus Christ. And it's not just good news for me, it's good news also for you. And, although none of us are perfect, our life bears the marks of having been transformed by that message. We will always be, to some degree, hip- hypocritical because we are not perfect. But that is actually not our message. Our message is not look at me because I'm perfect and I've figured it out. Our message is look to Jesus because he's perfect and he's proved it. And my only hope is him and your only hope is him as well. But believing that changes us. We submit to him. We are humble. We are grateful. We have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These things are evident in our lives. We're not the same person that we used to be. We are then, if we are mature, we are skilled servants. We're not saying, feed me. We are being fed. We are digesting and ingesting the food. We don't need somebody to cut it up for us and feed us. Here comes the airplane. We want God's word. We want to feed on it. And as we do, we apply it in our lives. And we serve. And we are skilled in doing so. We use the gifts and talents and the abilities that God has given us for his glory. How can I help? How can I serve? And then we are practicing participants. We're not on the bench. We're not watching the game. We're in the game. We're one of the players. We're on the court, on the ice, on the floor. We're there. We're participating. But we're also practicing. If you want a good sort of Comparison, Alan Iverson was a basketball player for the Philadelphia 76ers. And there's a famous press conference. You can YouTube it, and somebody's actually put a counter up in the top left corner. Every time he says the word practice, they do another uh, mark. And I think he says the word practice 25 and a half times or something in the press conference. Brilliant young player, had all the potential in the world. Had a few good seasons with with the uh, the Sixers. But he was fined by the team. He was consistently late. Consistently missed practice. Fined by the team. Benched. And in frustration, he says, we're talking practice. Like in the game, I'm there. We're only talking about I missed practice. Completely oblivious to the need for practice. And then there's stories of any number of athletes. There's a story from Kobe Bryant that the US men's basketball team flew over for the Winter Olympics. All the team members, they've been flying all day, all jet lagged. At 3 in the morning, one of the trainers hears a basketball, sees some lights on in the gym. What's going on? Goes to investigate. There's Kobe Bryant, arguably, at the time, the best player in the world. And what is he doing? Practicing. Right now, our Toronto Blue Jays are in spring training like everybody else. And it doesn't matter if you're the star player or if you're the rookie. Everybody goes to spring training because everybody needs to practice. And you will find that those that are the best at what they do are the ones that practice the most. And it's no different in the Christian realm. We need to be actively engaged with the Word of God, active in prayer, active in worship, active in community. We need to be applying these things in our lives so that we are practicing participants. We need to be building those spiritual muscles for his glory and the good of those around us. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, we want to thank you for your word. And thank you for your love and the love of this preacher who loves his congregation enough to tell them the truth, to tell them what they need to hear and not just what they want to hear. That before going on to some additional truths about your, your son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he pauses. And he as he already has in this sermon letter and will again, he warns them patiently, graciously, lovingly, but firmly. They are not in a position to be judges. They are not God. One of the basic truths of Christianity is that there is a God and we are not you. We need humility and submission to you and to your word. And we need to be reminded have we become self-indulgent? Have we made it about us? Do we get upset when things are not done our way? Do we pout and whine and complain when God does not come through the way we want him to in the time frame that we want him to? Are we lazy listeners, or are we active appliers? Are we forgetful frauds or faithful followers? Are we clumsy consumers, or are we skilled servants? Are we simple sloths, or are we practicing participants? God, we need your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.